It's, uh, it's so uh, fulfilling to see what God has done in the last 10 years. And so it is a celebration. And yet we don't want to uh, just to rest here and celebrate it. God has many things for us to, to uh, in the future. And I know that many of you have uh, come into the room. It's been um, uh, interesting to see the responses over the last few weeks of saying, uh, you know, some people are wired in such a way that, you know, when if they were Abraham and uh, God says, hey, I just need you to leave where you are. I'm not going to tell you where to go. I'll show you. And, uh, you know, some people are wired like, oh, that's awesome. Road trip. You know, let's just go. We'll just see what happens. Let's pack up the RV and, and that's it. Although I'm not sure Abraham had one. But um, and then other people are more nervous. You know, they're more detailed, I would say. You know, they want to know, like, what's, what's going to be our first stop? Do we have hotel reservations? We got the trail mix packed. Uh, how many nuts are in the trail mix bag? You know, more, more detail. And the way God created us is that we need both kinds of people. We need the, those that are like, hey, let's go. And then we need those who uh, help those who say, let's go, you know, not get in too much trouble and, and make sure we do actually have a hotel reservation. I recognize today that this is um, a fire hose moment. There's a lot of information. That's why we are going to have some visuals. We put it in print so that you can take it home. But I want to say to you, we can all take a deep breath because this is not a traveling road show. We will be back next week. And so if you have questions, there are plenty of people to ask. And so um, before I forget, I'm going to ask our at group catalyst. We had a bunch in the first service. If you would stand right uh, where you're at, uh, at group catalyst, and keep standing there. And also, if you're a board member uh, or if you're a vision part of the vision team, uh, if you would stand too. That's excellent. Now, these people are experts. No, just kidding. I just. Uh, <laughs> Uh, these people are, um, they, they help lead our church. We're so grateful for their sacrifice in leading our church. And, uh, if you have questions, you don't have to come to me. You can just go right to them. You guys can be seated. Thank you. I wanted uh, them to see you. And you can go to them and say, hey man, I didn't quite get that. Or where do I start? Or how do I get involved? Et cetera. And then we'll have more ways to answer those questions at, uh, as we go along. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the, the dream that we feel like God has given to us, I think it's very important for us to frame what God's dream is. And so if I were to title today's conversation, it would be entitled, A Dream Within a Dream. And I know that there have been movies and books that have used that phrase. But a dream within a dream, what I mean by that, it's, a, it's actually a phrase that also Mark Batterson uses in his, his book, Chase the Lion. Our dream, whatever that is, is most typically downstream of someone else's dream. Or you could say it this way, this, this way, that our dream is a subset of another dream. So when it comes to laying out a dream for a church, we want our dream to be a subset of God's dream. In other words, we want to align with God's heart and His dream. You would say, well, that seems obvious. Well, in the church culture, it's not always obvious. So we want to say, God, what is your dream? And so before we get into the nuts and bolts of, of, of our the dream we feel like God has given to us, I want to frame out for us two dreams that seem to be the primary dreams of God's heart that are in the Scripture. I'm going to move very quickly, but I think that these are two very simple dreams. The way we're going to do that is that we're going to look at the span of, of our experience 
And that expand of our experience, we have an infinity sign on the left pointing left and an infinity sign on the right pointing right. And that represents for us eternity past, which is beyond our comprehension as human beings, and eternity future, which is beyond our comprehension as human beings. And in the middle of eternity past and eternity future, there's this little droplet called the human experience. It seems so long for us. When we see a building that's 400 years old, we're like, wow, that building is so old. We will not think that one bit when we were walking on the eternal pavement of heaven. I I Trust me. But in this experience that we have, that God has two primary dreams that are included in eternity past, eternity future, and in the human existence. Here's dream number one. When we look... At, at, at the future, it, we are limited by time because we, we say, I, I, if I said I can tell you exactly who's going to win the election on Tuesday, I can tell you exactly how the stock market is going to roll out on Monday, then I probably wouldn't be standing here. I'd be living in some mansion in the south of France. For God, he's never predicting because God lives in 1601 and 1915 and 2016 and 2080 and, and he's, he's in eternity all at the same time. So when we, when God sees things, it's, 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 it's all now. And I know that's beyond our comprehension. But the first dream is this. Before Adam took his first breath, God knew that the human race would blow it. He understood because he lived in the future too that there would be a separation between humanity and God. And his first dream was to fix that problem, to repair that gap in order to reach a withness, a togetherness. That is the dream of God. So right from the beginning, before Adam took his breath, First Peter, in, first, in, in chapter 1, verse 18, we're told this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, verse 20, Christ was chosen before the creation of the world. He was appointed. In other words, why? Because God, his first dream was to fix the problem of the gap between humans and God and between himself. And he said, I need to fix that. And it began to be in God's heart way before Adam. In a very profound verse in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 23, Christ was appointed. He's speaking first person. I was appointed from eternity, like Peter said, from the beginning before the world began. And of course, in the book of Revelation, the lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. You see, the cross physically happened roughly 2,000 years ago, but God understood that there was a problem and his dream began before creation. Are we all up to snuff? And then God began to, to, to live that out in the little droplet we call the human existence. So, for example, when Adam came along and Adam blew it, you'll remind, or remind ourselves that God went to Adam first. He did not require Adam to come to him. Adam was hiding. There was a gap. And God says, I have got to fix this gap because I want to walk with Adam. That's his dream. So you remember he killed the animal, he covered him, and he made a way. All through the Old Testament, there is this system 
called the sacrificial system. It was God's way of saying this is a temporary fix for now until Jesus comes. It's a temporary fix to bridge the gap that has been created in order to have fellowship, witness, togetherness, communion, pick a word, with the human race that I created. Then Christ comes along and watch what happens. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, Jesus, the word, became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. God is now physically living out the dream to fix the problem, to be with us. And Jesus was the ultimate sign of that, that God was now on earth, Emmanuel, God with us. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, we see the dream of Jesus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which needed repair. That was which, that was, uh, which was lost. In John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10 at the cross, this is such a succinct description of what the dream of God was. This is love. Not that we loved God first, but that God loved us all the way back in the garden. God came seeking for us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That word atonement, you can break it up at one meant. Christ came to repair the gap between humans and God and have in order to have this at one meant. And then in the future, we're not just heading toward any a destination of heaven and harps and angels and golden streets and all that's that 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 silliness. It's it's so much more than that. It is a witness, an eternal witness. That's why John in John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you, here it is, to be with me, that you may also be where I am for eternity. The dream that God had from eternity past and the human existence and eternity future, the first dream that God had was, man, I've got to fix a problem. I've got to bridge the gap so that I have a witness. Are you with me? Are you with me? Thank you. I'm going to be asking that, so I'm going to get you involved. Okay, dream number two. We're moving pretty fast, so that's why I'm going to check in with you. Dream number two. Not only that God wanted to repair the problem so that we have a witness with one another, with God and us, but he also, his dream was that we all become more and more like him, more in character, more in forgiveness, more in sacrifice, more in giving of ourselves, more in kindness, more in boldness, more in courage. So in the book of Romans, watch what happens. Now again, remember, God foreknew all this before Adam was, Adam was, uh, uh, took his first breath. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, for those God foreknew, that means he foreknew that they were going to choose him. He didn't make them choose him. He just knew it in advance because he's living in the future and the past all the same time. So for God, it's not a big deal. So for God that knew who was going to choose him, he also predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Whatever God is working on in your life right now, boy, I need to be more forgiving. 
That means you need to be more like Jesus. Man, I mean, need to be more kind. That means it comes under the umbrella of being more like Jesus. Whatever it is that God is asking and trying to work in your life, it all comes under the umbrella of becoming more and more like Jesus. This was the dream. I want to walk with you. I want to, I want to repair the, the, the gap and so that we're with each other. But I also want you to become more and more like me. That's why in the creation story in Genesis 1.26, when Adam, uh, when God was, uh, Adam was made, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. He could have made man to look like a box. He could have made him look like a kangaroo. He could have made man not to speak, not to feel, not to cry, not to emote, not none of that. But he made us to look like him. So in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9, when we, at the cross, here's what happens. We have taken off our old self with its practices and have put on the new self. That's when I offer the gospel. I say, I'm exchanging my old life for Christ's new one. There it is. You've taken off the old life and put on the new one, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's why in the New Testament, we are challenged to say, act more like Jesus. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life... Here's a two-word phrase that comes up all the time in the New Testament. Just as Christ loved us. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 20, 21. This has been the core verse of 360 for many years. I pray, Jesus is saying, I pray for all those who will believe in me through their message that all of them might experience a level of intimate relationship, that they might be one father. Here it is. Here it is. Just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus is saying, I'm praying that they will understand that they are to become like me in the way they love each other and that the way they become close to one another. And in first John chapter three and verse two for eternity, watch this, eternity future. John writes, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but when we know that when Christ appears, we will fully be like him. Dream number two. So when God is finished with the whole program here, he's repaired the gap and we get to live with him for eternity. And then when we're done on this little droplet called the human existence, guess what? We get to be like him in, in full array when we're in, in uh, character and, uh, and love and all that will be perfected in that moment. But when we're on earth, we are to be more and more like him. That is our aim. Are you following? Yes. Dream number one, repair the gap. I'm going to walk with you. Dream number two, not only am I going to be with you, but I want you to be more and more like me. This is the thread that these two threads go all the way through the scripture. Now, this is the thing that God asks us as Christ followers to multiply, to replicate these two things. In other words, be concerned over those who are separated from God and bring the story of the repair. That's the good news of Jesus so that I can be with those who are separated with me. And then don't stop there once they come to me but begin to work with them so that they become more and more like me. That's called discipleship, right? So from the beginning, when God created the earth, he created multipliers. Watch this. I find this fascinating. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. 
For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create the earth to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. So in other words, he created this whole thing. He could have just created it for butterflies and for animals and kangaroos and raccoons. He could have said, hey, that's that's all I need. But he created this whole thing so that we would be multipliers and not just physically, but multipliers of these two dreams. God is for you, wants to fix the problem so he can be with you. And God not only wants to be with you, but he, he designed you to become more and more like him. Now go and replicate that. So when Adam comes along, what happens in, in, with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Same thing when it came to Noah's ark. As soon as Noah stepped off the ark, you remember what God says, go and fill the earth, multiply. Same thing with Ad, uh, Abraham. Hey, Abraham, step outside the tent, look at the millions of stars, see what's happening. I'm going to multiply you more than you can imagine. And then when we go to the New Testament, Peter comes along and has this intersection with Jesus, and watch what happens. The two dreams of God are like two rivers, and they come into this one place, and all of a sudden this light bulb comes on like, wow, man, that's what the whole thing is about. When we get the great commission of Christ, these two rivers, uh, they, they combine in this one beautiful, succinct picture. Watch this. Peter comes along, first introduction to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to make you what? Fishers of men. In other words, I want you to multiply the good news of Christ that he has made a way through the crucifixion, through the cross of Christ, so that the repair of the human race is made, and and, and I want to live with you. I want to live you with you for eternity. Go fish. Go make, make sure everybody knows this. And then at the end of the story, after the resurrection, Jesus comes and he meets Peter again, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Remember, it's triplicate. Do you love me? Yeah, the probably last you know one is like heck yes I do I've already told you, and he said if you love me do what? Feed my sheep. You're a very quiet crowd. Yes, feed my sheep. Right, feed my sheep. So he's saying, here it is, fish and feed. That's it. What's the Bible about? Fish and feed. Tell the news that Jesus came to repair to be with you. And feed those that come along who take you up on that, take God up on that offer and feed them so they become like Christ. Why am I bringing it up? Because if you know anything about the church culture, we fish, we fish, we fish. People come to Christ and we have created spiritual orphans. In other words, we stop right there and it's not where we're supposed to stop. We are supposed to not only fish with the good news and throw the bait out of the good news so the people can catch it, but once people are caught by like, wow, I get to live with God. Now we get to feed you, feed the sheep, so they become more and more like Jesus. Watch this. Here's the Great Commission. We find it in Mark 16 and Matthew 28. Watch the two rivers coming together, the two dreams coming together. Go into all the world and fish. Go into all the world and bring the, then preach the good news. What is the good news? We're, we're in a helpless estate where there is a break between us and God and Christ has provided a way through the cross. Go and do that. 
And then Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the Great Commission, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and watch, and feeding them, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. In other words, grow them up to look like me, and that is the two dreams. Do you see them coming together? I love simplicity. So if someone says, hey, what's the Bible about? Fishing and feeding. What should we be doing as Christians? Fishing and feeding. I should fish with the good news, and then once they come to Christ, I should feed them. This is why the marks of this church are these three simple words. This up relationship with God. Make sure that that's repaired. And then once that up relationship with God is repaired, let's dig in and begin to to help people grow up into the image of God that he's intended. And then let's take those two things and let's take it out and multiply. So what I've said to you so far is nothing intensely innovative, right? Witness for Christ and make disciples. You, you hear that if you've been a Christian for a long time. Here's the distinction that we believe that God has delivered to us for 10 years now. It's not the what, it's the how. Here's what I mean. The what of God's dream, as I've said it many times today, fish and feed. It's the delivery system that's different. It's the delivery system that's different. What do I mean by that? That means that as we look at the church culture in the U.S., we covered this a couple weeks ago, as we look at the church culture in the U.S., and we look at the rate of divorce in the church, as we look at the rate of uh I'm going to say, because we have kids that are sitting in the room, um, visual immorality. You know what I'm talking about with, with men, et cetera. Uh, we look at those statistics, and listen, it's not much different inside the church than it is outside the church. So we have to look at ourselves and saying everything we do is in a, a group, and we must say that's not being, something's not being effective. And be more effective than we say, let's then take it to the next dynamic. Because sitting in a group, which is a good thing, by the way, I love groups, I'm not anti-group. But sitting in a group is not quite enough. We must take it to the next level. That's why when the last 10 years, listen, I have seen more transformation of lives. I've seen more relational depth. And I've, and we've seen le- consumerism being chiseled away at because the one-to-one makes a difference. And the reason that we've seen all these things, you know what the reason is? My preaching. I'm just kidding. I'm just making sure you're with me. Yeah, yeah. These things come to my mind. I'm not sure why I say them, but anyway, of course not. It's that we've taken a different delivery system. In fact, I found the first logo of 360 10 years ago. There it is. And believe it or not, I had to change it because people were saying to were saying to me, "Hey, what are the two circles for?" I'm like, "There's three circles, you moron! Can't you see three circles?" I always thought I was being so artistically crafty, you know, and like putting the you know one circle inside the zero. But people kept after about the 180 time, like, "What are those two circles?" I'm like, "Okay, we're going to change our logo, whatever." But from the beginning, I want you to see that this is nothing new. From the beginning, honestly, we didn't know what we were doing, but we knew that there was something missing in the culture, the Christian culture in the U.S. Just by virtue of the results 
or the lack thereof. So I began a small circle relationship with one guy. Every week, I'd go downtown and meet him at the county uh, at the county building. And that person is our executive pastor, Rob Chestnut. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that this is what Christ had called us to. And because of that, we said, let's create a culture of what we call small circle. In other words, let's not have a million church programs. And by the way, we have to have this discipleship program as one of many things that we do. Let's try as hard as we can to put this one-to-one, small circle dynamic at every layer of our church. And let's see what happens. And I'm telling you, we haven't perfected it. We haven't mastered it. But after more than three decades of being in ministry for the first time, listen, I have hope. I have a sense like, wow, people are really getting their lives changed. There's relational depth that I have never experienced before in the church culture, and it's a jazz. So for that reason, now you can take your your handout, and I'll kind of flip between the handout and, and the screen. I want if you look at the screen, our our desire is to take this small circle culture, and if you look up here for a second, the desire is to take this culture and then to put it out into every uh, aspect of our church. Now, I'm hoping in a good way that this is a surprise to you in a, in a delightful way. What I mean by that is like, hey, I've heard you talk a lot about the one-to-one culture and exchange, your discipleship uh, you know, track, etc. But I want you to see today that over the years we've said, hey, let's take that and bring it into our preschool ministry, our elementary school ministry, our middle school ministry, our high school ministry. You see, I've got two middle schoolers. And there's some times that a high schooler who is on fire for Christ will have much more of a position in my son's life than I do. So there's an assignment for a high schooler, and he's assigned my son, Ty McCoy. And I'm telling you, when my son gets a call from a high schooler, being a middle schooler, when he gets a call from a high schooler, it's like second to Jesus. And dad is about 14. Oh, hey, dad, what's up, right? But can you believe so-and-so called me? And they prayed with me. We see this culture. They're forming small groups in the elementary school. And my middle school son is going to be a leader of a small group for elementary school so that he can pour himself into the life of an elementary school student. Woo! And that was painful. Just kidding. So I don't have a lot of time to go through all of these. That's why we have a handout, so that you can kind of take it home. And I hope celebrate some of these. But just let me give you some highlights here. Um, of course, our exchange program, I'll talk more about that. It's a one-to-one track, takes about uh, a year or so to go through. Evangelism, we believe in having a primary receiver. That means who is that person? doesn't mean it's the only person you're going to talk to about Jesus, but who is that person that's going to receive your care, your attention, your prayer, your, your being bothered by, like internal, like, man, I'm bothered that they're not with Christ. See, this is dream number one. How do we effectively dream, do dream number one without going door to door and handing out tracts? 
I'll tell you how. One-to-one culture. Pray for one person. Dig into one person. Love one person. Cry out to God for one person and see what happens. It makes a huge difference. Our elders, ah, gosh, we're, we're, I, I talk to other pastors. They're like, wow, man, see, I have seen respectfully so many elders train wreck in my, in my lifetime. Not because of the men and they're bad, but because of the structure that they become institutionalized and a governing body that only makes decisions and somewhere along that line they quit shepherding. And it's a, it's a tragedy. In our church, what we've said is let's have elders and we have enough elders so that every pastor has a, an assigned elder every three months, every quarter, we switch off. Last Wednesday night, I had dinner with me, my wife, my the assigned elder, and his wife. And we laid it out. Hey, man, what, what are you struggling with? I'm like, man, our kids are both in middle school. They're just, you know, at each other's throat, blah, blah, blah. They said, you know what? We had two sons. We had two boys, same age span. Let us, let us help you out with this. At the end of dinner, my elder looked me in the eye and said, would you mind if I come to your home? And would you mind if I spend a couple of hours with your boys? Because I feel like I've got something to say to them. You see, this is not an institutional body of government that is making decisions. This is a shepherd, and you better want someone over my life as a pastor. There's too many headliners of pastors who have fallen because no one is asking them, how's it going at home? Thank God it's changing our lives. Ask any of our staff pastors, what do you think of our elders? I love them, except the guy I go to the gym with who works me too hard. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> so many of these, the way we approach missions, foster care. We just had a family who's foster, fostering a, a family through an organization, and they rec- that organization requires a coach. We have a one-to-one coach, and we have an act group that w- does a small circle with the families who are fostering so that we can, we can support them. Um, the way that we do row four and care for one another, it's one-to-one. So you can you can look at this when you have more time. But this is the culture, and it's a culture, honestly, that I am so thrilled about because, listen, if you don't, if you don't know the church culture at all, this is a culture that is unusual in today's society and, and in the church culture. Let me tell you why. It takes time to slow down. We live with an industrial revolutionary mind, revolution mindset and more widgets quicker, right? That's where we live. Big box stores and everything. To go back to an era where it's mom and pop and people care at this level is what I call, it's anti-cultural, but it's agricultural. There's a seed that's planted, water it, nurture it, cuddle it, water it, watch out, you know, weed around it, and it takes time to grow. And so what's happening for us now is that we have planted this, and this is happening. This is not aspirational. This is happening, and we are seeing life change from preschool to elementary to middle school to high school. People say, man, where do I get involved? Hey, got a cheesecake factory menu for you right here. Over the past few weeks, last week we had a meeting. We had 30 people here at a Selah Freedom meeting. How do I get involved? How do I fish? We have people, we have a hundred people who are in discipleship saying, hey, how do I, how do I feed? 
We had a meeting uh, uh, with uh, uh, Cambodia, Cambodian meeting. We had 30 people at that meeting. Something is happening here. Something is in the water where you people are getting excited. <laughs> and I'm thrilled about that. We're, we, we will create clear paths to some of these ministries, but I'm telling you, if you want to get involved, listen, here's the cool thing about it. We're not just saying, hey, can you come in in the building and turn the lights on? Those things are necessary, right? Can you empty the trash? Those things are necessary. But I've said for the last four to six weeks, I want to create, I'm, I'm asking God to create an environment where you can get involved in a small circle culture where you can leave a legacy. We had a lady sitting here on the second row this morning. She's 79 years old. She took my call about a month ago to be a missionary and to our middle school. She went to the middle school. She said to me just last week, I had no idea what I was doing, but I have fallen in love with these kids. And she looked and she had this gleam in her eye and she goes, and I think I can make a difference. This is what we're talking about. To Whether you're 18 or whether you're 14 or whether you're 84, we want a place for everybody where you feel like you are advancing the kingdom in a legacy-leaving way. Are you with me? All right. Everyone who's texting me right now doesn't understand I'm a pastor, obviously. <laughs> so here's the deal. Now we go to this third layer where God says, I want you to multiply it. So this becomes then the, the, the thing that God has given to us, and this becomes then the thing that God is saying, I want you to take this out. So from Sarasota, we believe that the dream is for us to invigorate Christianity in the U.S. by sharing and replicating this small circle culture. See, we're learning from other churches. I'm learning about church planting. I'm learning about international ministry. I believe that if a church is leaning forward, God gives to them an asset. And trust me, when we have talked to pastors literally from North Dakota to North Carolina, from Canada to Miami, about the small circle culture, whether they're small church plants or they're significant churches in this country, they lean forward in the conversation and say, tell me more, because we've gotten so fast and over our skis that this concept of creating a church with small circle culture has literally been lost and it's almost extinct, and we are suffering the consequences both in the fishing end and the feeding end. Are you with me? This is a huge dream. How in the world can we invigorate Christianity in the U.S.? This is the dream where I've said, it will not happen in my lifetime. It cannot happen. It's too big of a dream. And there are times where I'm like, wow, God, how, how in the world are we going to accomplish this? So the, the brilliance of this approach, and it's not my approach so that I can say that, the brilliance of this approach is this then becomes a 10-year mark for us that we won't accomplish entirely, but this becomes our 10-year. And then it's kind of like reverse engineering. Reverse engineering means that here's, here's where we're aiming, and then let's step back and create steps of how to get there. This is the part that jazzes me. In other words, it's not just like, hey, let's just talk about reaching the U.S. Like, how are you going to do that? Really don't know. But this, we say, okay, we're going to have four three-year goals that 
that lead us to the 10-year goal. We have one major one-year goal, and then we have four 90-day goals. And you'll notice that on the bottom here, the 90-day goals are, are going to be empty because those turn around every 90 days, obviously, and so they'll be changing. But I want to look at the, uh, uh, of how we're going to step this in. So we'll begin by looking at the three-year goals, and then we'll look at the one-year goal. So as we prayed, we said, God, here, here's, how we're, here's how we would like to um, replicate this. There are several ways to say, how do we get this out to the U.S.? The first way is church planting. Now, I'll remind you that in America, we, this is why we covered this a couple of weeks ago, that every single, not some, but every single mainline denomination is on the decline. They did a wonderful job in the 50s, 60s, and 70s of planting churches, but because that's on the decline, and we remember the chart, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, of the non-denominational, whatever it is, non-denominational <laughs> churches like ours that are on the increase, on the increase, that means it's up to us. We must plant churches. Here is the stunning number. It's not, if you were to say, how many churches in America that are non-denominational, who are evangelical churches like ours, how many of these churches, what percentage of these churches are becoming churches that plant churches that plant other churches, that are fulfilling this dream of God to multiply? If you were to say, hey, maybe just 10%, you know, that would be, that'd be sad, right? If it were just 5% of churches, planting churches that plant churches, like, wow, that's super sad, right? If it were 1%, it should be embarrassing. Are you ready? It's less than 0.1% of churches who are planting churches that plant churches. Why? Because it requires of us great sacrifice. And quite frankly, sometimes we don't know how. Someone, someone would say, man, we start talking about church planting. Does that mean we're going to lose 100 people? Probably. But wait for the jazz. So when they're in the church in West Bradenton or Tampa or Philadelphia or wherever that is, and we pipe them in on their 10-year anniversary, we're talking about jazz times 100. You get it? That's exciting. So one of the first goals that we have is what is attendance of a 1,000. Now, I am not into numbers. I'm not in, in, in counting seats and all that jazz. But we do believe that when we plant, we must plant out of our strength. Our staff, we feel like we're, we in some ways are running two small churches. We had a, p- a pretty packed house in the first service, but we only have about 350, 60 chairs in this, in this, uh, in this, um, room. And so we, uh, so overall our church is about 700 now. You couldn't tell. But we believe that in order to plant and say, okay, we're, we, we can m- make this a win-win in order, in other words, if we have 100 or 200 people leave, then great. We, we didn't, you know, the, the tank the boat and then we helped them support and we could send in enough people. When we planted 360, there were six other people other than my wife and I. This is not the way you plan a church. I, I can write a book on how not to do it. Trust me. Very tough. We had no money. We had, you know, all of us worked in you know, second and third jobs, all, all that. I, I can truly write a book on here's how, here would be the hardest way to plan a church. We don't want to do that. We believe that we want to grow out of our strength. Now, when we look at this number, say, okay, then we want to increase by 300. I would say to you, here's another number for you. 
80% of churches in America are not growing at all. Zero. 20% of churches are growing, but of that 20%, 19% of churches in America are growing only by getting Christians from other churches. Only 1% of churches are getting people because they fish. I'm asking God, truly, to bother me and to bother you. It's a dangerous prayer. I just don't want to say, hey, let's get 300 more people. No, God, it's not numbers. It's not, it's not, it, it, it has nothing to do with attendance. There are 300 souls that we could pray for by saying, God, we want dream number one, that you want to bridge the gap through Christ so that these people can be with you. That's why we're going to have primary receivers and some tools in order to reach those primary receivers. Are you with me? So that attendance represents not only the strength to replicate, but it also represents us kicking it in and saying, man, i got to be more bothered about those without Christ. Here's the second three-year goal. Second three-year goal is called the Leadership Pipeline. We have begun an eight-month process with one of the experts, truly the experts in the country of creating a leadership pipeline. And this is a very cool thing. This is where I've said over and over, everybody has a place. So the leadership pipeline is a pathway for you to say, man, I'm a team member now, but I'd like to be developed into a catalyst and a catalyst to a coach. So this is kind of the way. So you begin as a team member and we want to create a path of development for the next step of leadership, and then to a coach, and then a director, and then to a ministry lead. Let me break this down for you. So often in the church culture, we have leader placement, but not leader development. That means, oh, there's Bob. He's successful as, you know, uh, in his business, and because he's successful as his business, let's place Bob over charge of this ministry because uh, of, of that criteria, rather than saying, Let's develop Bob with character and competence and chemistry and all these types of, let's develop him so that when he gets to this level, you can say, oh great, we can actually take you to the next level so you can actually be a coach of Catalyst or a director of coaches who can. So the whole point is there's a place for everybody. You may say, man, I just want to be a Catalyst. Awesome. That's perfect. I just want to be a team member. Awesome. But I, when there are people sitting in the room that say, How do I begin to use my leadership skills and be developed as a leader? And how do I grow in such a way that I can also leave a legacy and make an impact of others who are leading others? And this is the way. Not enough time to go into all the details. I'm just very jazzed because this is the light bulb that kind of came on for me. Like, how in the world are we going to plant churches? How do we develop people into being church planters? And this is the light bulb that came on. I'm like, oh, there it is. In other words, if you want to grow in this organization, we want to provide a way and not just recklessly place you in a position of leadership, but take you and lead you there so that you feel comfortable and listen to me. I am aiming, the target that we're aiming for is that at the end of the day, you say, oh, man. I am making a difference in the kingdom of God. Our job is to provide a path. Are you with me? All right. Next one. I won't spend a lot of time. Uh, Vision alignment tools. We have a three-year goal of making our path more clear. Just what I talked about. In other words, where do I start? How do I get started? 
What is this vision about? So making it, having more visuals like we're doing right now, teams and coaching of, of, of people, the, some of the people that are sitting in the room right now like, dude, I'm totally lost. Great. We'll provide more clarity through, through, uh, through vision alignment tools. I'm going to move on. The final one in the three-year plan is 36-5. 36-5 is a goal that we have of having our discipleship one-to-one track in 36 churches and then breakthrough in five. Let me, let me kind of give you some details of that. When we talk to other churches about our one-to-one track, there is such a high interest because, and they haven't even seen the material. So it's not like, oh, this material is so great because there is such a desperate hunger to have the tools of the second dream of God. How do we make disciples? It's the Great Commission. It is so frustrating for me to hear pastors rant and rave on a Sunday morning, say, go make disciples. And everybody's like, okay, all right, I'd like to do that. But how do I do that? Well, our job as pastors is to provide tools. So exchange is just that. It's equipment so that the the people of God can become not only disciples, but disciple makers. So when we talk to pastors, whether they're in other countries, other states, there's a high interest. And so we say, okay, how in the world do we take this and we make it in such a way that if, our, if we're trying to you know, impact the country, how do we get it out? So what I'm about to say comes under the only God can do it column. You know what I'm talking about, those things? Uh, or the other column would be, uh, and God still uses morons like, you know, us. Uh, Steve, I'll take, I'll take the hit for that one. You know, God still uses, like, wow, it's stunning how, what God does when you begin to say, God, I'm gonna yield to you. So, for example, last spring, I've told you that I went to this conference called Exponential. There's one in the spring in Orlando, Exponential East. There's a, there's a conference in LA in the fall, Exponential West. Um, they are primarily for church planters. I have found church planters to be more open to readjusting their culture and their mindset than those who have been in it for many, many years. It doesn't mean that they can't change, but I think you know what I'm getting at. Those who are fresh, church planters are a different animal. And they, they come like, man, I want it. So we are finding many open doors with church planters. This conference sold out at about 5,000 people last year. And like any conference, it has... Some heavy hitters like uh, last year was Brian Houston, Irwin McManus, uh, Matt Chandler, some very well-known uh, pastors and leaders in, in the country and around the world. And then they have a million you know, uh, breakout sessions that they have, guys like Will Mancini and the guy we're h- hiring for uh, leadership uh, uh, pipeline uh, uh, or do these workshops. And then, uh, and then everybody breaks out and goes to these workshops. And then in the middle of the whole thing, they have like a trade show type thing going on. So the trade show is that, you know, you have kind of a booth and there's like Lifeway Publishing, et cetera, and then you have different companies. And so we're going to have a, uh, a booth at Exponential East and probably Exponential West next year. And we'll have a lot of traffic. Um, and by that time, I've mentioned to you, we're working on a, uh, we're in full development now with an app, a phone mobile app for exchange. Uh, very excited about that. And so we'll have that ready at, at Exponential. So that's uh, kind of uh, the late part of April. So we'll, we'll begin to have presence there. So when I, when I um, was thinking about this, 
I emailed Will Mancini because we've developed, you know, a relationship over the years and said, hey, thinking about doing this, you think it's a good idea, kind of went back and forth. And he said, hey, I'd like to give you a recommendation. I'm like, well, do you need a recommendation to have a booth? I wasn't quite sure. But come to find out that Will wrote a letter to the leaders of Exponential. He said, I've never done this before, but he recommended me to be a presenter at Exponential. And so I had the right proposal, et cetera, and uh, got approved, and now I'm going to be doing that. So that's that's uh, cool, yeah. So the reason I say that is I think it's high time I get a raise. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. just comes to me, I say it. I don't know why I do that. So... Um, and then every each one of these exponential conferences, they have a main theme. Like last year was becoming a level five multiplying church. It, the the it's permeated all over the the uh, you know their print material and the film material. Blah blah blah. So next year's theme is God dreams, being led by Will Mancini. He's going to be the spearhead. This here comes the only God can do it column. And he, so ever who spear has it has to write a book. And in that book, he's using three churches as an example. And 98% sure that 360 will be one of those churches in that book. That's pretty cool. Here's the neat thing I'm saying. Here's the reason I say, and I say this cautiously because, you know, it's not a spotlight uh, deal. But when we began to dream, in my mind, confession Fear set in, like, God, how in the world could we ever even get in front of enough people? And suddenly God says, I can take care of that, comma, you moron, right? <laughs> I hear moron in my prayer life a lot. Do you? I'm, I'm hoping you do. God began to open doors. I just spoke to the guy, our contact in Cuba today. We just we just hit the halfway mark of translating exchange into Spanish. A lot of work, a lot of hours. It truly is an. It, it feels like an act of worship. And he said to me this morning, he said, "You have no idea. This contact we have in Cuba is so connected to hundreds of church planters, and they are desperate for discipleship. Who does that? Who, who only God can do that." You know what I'm saying? I didn't like call 1-800-CUBA. Hey, need a, need a discipleship? You know, God just opens those doors. It is stunning what God's doing. Breakthrough. Breakthrough is a ministry that is led by our associate pastor, Jim Childs, to those who are, have struggled with same gender attraction. I cannot tell you how amazingly effective this ministry is. Because in the church culture, it ranges from harsh and radical and judgmental to totally like, hey, it doesn't matter with no truth at all. It is a ministry of a perfect blend of truth and absolute love that has truly changed my mind and my heart to love those who, who are challenged with this struggle and love them enough to offer truth but love them enough to reach into the community and be courageous enough to reach into their community and walk with them so that they can also have the gap repaired between them and God. And then once that happens, they can become more like Christ. Jim has led this team. He now has nine people uh, on Tuesday. Half of them are not at 360. 
I'll tell you why. Because they can't find another place where they can sit down and share their struggle and be accepted and hear truth at the same time. I will say in front of our church, Jim, I am so profoundly proud of you and your team. Quite, quite frankly, the LGBT community is a community that the church doesn't know how, how to reach and to reach into. And they are doing a tremendous job. Here's what I'm, watch this. Jim's already been called to do two radio talk shows. I'm like, great, gotta give him a raise now. <laughs> there have been leaders that have come from other states to see what are you guys doing? There's a, there's an organization called, uh, ABWE, uh, we're connected closely to the executive director, very interested in what, what Jim is doing, has invited him to be part of writing tools that will go across the country because they oversee 4,000 church plants in order to teach us how you're reaching the LGBT community. This is under the column of only God can do it. I'm seeing the same thing in Cambodia, in Swaziland, in Cuba, in the DR, and right here in the United States, and right here in our own room. These are things that I believe are happening because we say, God, we want to align with the dreams of your heart. You remember Christ said, ask what you will. If it aligns with his will, then God will open up some doors. And I'm just so excited that God is opening up doors that we can never be, uh, that we can never imagine. Okay. Here's the real jazz for Steve. I need teams to go with me to Cuba. I need teams to be with me at Exponential. I need teams. We've already created, beginning to create teams to work with churches. Can you imagine when we throw up a map and say, hey, we have teams all around this country and in other countries and you're it, and there's a place for you so that it's just no longer bland Sunday morning Christianity, but you have an opportunity to impact the culture of America in a way that you could never imagine. You beginning to sniff the soup that's cooking? Yeah. All right. Finally, let me go to the one-year um, one goal, 2X. So we have uh, what we're going to call the X family here. So you, you, I've already spoken about exchange. So we have, in, at this point, if we can go to the next slide, we have next and exchange. Exchange is an ex intensive one-to-one uh, -one discipleship. But at the beginning of this year, we created a, a more simple 12-week track for brand-new believers. It teaches how to read the Bible, how to start reading the Bible, how to start praying, what's the importance of church, why is it important to uh, to be baptized? Uh, how about serving? Those types of things that are just the beginning blocks of, of faith, and then it and then it leads right into exchange. We have someone sitting in our room this morning that came to Christ here at 360 uh, through one of our small groups who were running a 5K, joined that group, uh, came to run, came to our church, came to Christ. Here we go. I'm going to start crying. Stop it, Steve. <laughs> and I'm looking at her friend who she invited, who came to Christ on Christmas Eve. 
They were baptized together, going through next, and now an exchange. You see how it works? Fishing and feeding. And so we're creating a third project now. It's called Outbox, a message waiting to be sent. I feel the weight as a leader to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And so Outbox will be this tool that will be labs. How do you take your primary receiver and begin to build a relationship? How do you begin to story collect? How do you begin to enter Christ into the conversation? It will be designed to reach those who are, are not believers. And then it will go right to next, which is first steps in the faith. And then it can go right into exchange, which is multiplying exchange. And they become disciple makers so that we have a fullness there. Our goal for one year is to double the number of people that are in the X family, so to speak, whether it's next exchange outbox to double that number. Why? Because it's God's dream. It's God's dream to fish and feed. And that's, we want that to be our dream. Do you feel it? This is the dream of uh, 360 for the next 10 years and beyond. And I know that there'll be many, many questions. But before I go, I want you. To, I want to. I want to um, share with you just a couple of of pictures. Um, and they have they have personal meaning, but I think they have collective meaning for us as well. This is a picture of the first day of 360 10 years ago. And those are our, my boys. And uh, when we started, we were scared. We really were scared. We had no money. We had no insurance. We had nothing. And here's the reason I want to say this to you. God made a way. I'm scared now. And God said, good, I want you to live. I want you to live with an elevated heart rate, right? I mean, scared in the best of ways. In other words, I'm not comfortable. Like, hey, let's just keep doing church the way we've always done it. When I look at this picture, it reminds me that God can make a way no matter how big the dream is. Here's another guy you might recognize when we first started, Rob Chestnut. <laughs> it's just a miracle that Rob was with us in the beginning of the year, took him out of the country for five years to be a missionary, and now he's back with us. And I just, I had to throw that up for, for those culottes or whatever he's wearing. <laughs> Here's another picture, Judy. On the left is a, a swim mart sign. And on the right door, you'll see our logo. And those are three circles, by the way. <laughs> and when we moved in this, before we moved in this building, we came and uh, we laid hands on this building and, and we said, God, please, please. And Judy, who's the owner of this building, is here in this room with us. Thank you for, for many years. And um, she owned she owns the building, but she had her business running on the left side of the building. And we took over the right side of the building and kept sneaking up on her and taking more rooms <laughs> as she graciously gave to us. And then sacrificially, she moved to a smaller building. And um, we're, we're, we're deeply grateful. And I couldn't pass this 10-year mark without thanking you. 
But when we laid our hands on this building, we said, please, God. And we're laying our hands on this vision saying, please, God, please, God, we, we're asking you. Finally, this is what the room looked like when we found it. This, this side of the building was like a storage room with many things from Swimmart. And I had people, when I first walked in the room, and they said these words to me, ain't no way. And I said, God can make a way. And he has. He has. When I look at the size and the daunting level, and some of you may be like, man, I don't get it. I'm not, I'm not plugged in yet. That's cool. God loves you, man. We want you to be, there are many places where you can just say, I'm jump in and, and, and be a part of the life changing mission here. But when I look at the, how daunting that felt, how daunting it felt with, with two kids when we first started, how daunting it even feels now. God is the one that makes a difference. So we're going to end our service today in a way that may seem unusual to you. It shouldn't, uh, I guess, be too unusual for us as Christians. But we took a few rows out of our chairs, and we're going to position ourselves for the next 10 years on our knees today. Now, if you're unable to to kneel, uh, no problem. Just kind of maybe invite you to sit at the edge of your uh, chair and pray. But I want to position ourselves together as a church on our knees and say, God, please, please, God, we we want to be aligned with your dream. And we want to fish and we want to feed for your glory. And only God, we want to see more things just flowing in the only God column. And so with that in mind, um, we're going to we're going to get on our knees. So. Um, Let's, uh, if you are able, if you're not, hey, you just sit on your chair, that's fine. Father, you see your church on our knees today, God. And we're in, we're on our knees, Father, because uh, we celebrate your work at this church for 10 years. And in our lives personally, God. But we're also, God, on our knees because we want to position ourselves without a shadow of a doubt to anyone that we are completely umbilical, God, to you for what is to happen in the next 10 years of your church. And we pray, Father, that our hearts will be yielded completely. There may be some in the room today that are are kneeling before you for the first time and know that, God, you are fishing for them. And God forbid it in our lives that we would not be bothered by those who are separated from you because as we sang earlier, God, where you go, I go, what you say, I say, what you pray, I pray. God, may we be, may we pray, God, what you pray. And we've seen from eternity past to eternity future, God, that you have a dream to bring to the world the news that you have made a repair. And because you love us so much, you want to be with us. God, may that burden, may that bother that you have, that that unsettling, God, that you have for those without Christ, may it lay heavily, God, on the hearts of the people on this church. And if it doesn't, God, forgive us, please, for not being burdened and bothered by those who are lost and without you pray that, God, your Holy Spirit 
will increase that burden and that unsettling for those who are lost that are in our personal lives, God, our primary receivers. And God, begin it with us. Begin it with the pastor of this church. Father, we also pray that we will not just create spiritual orphans, that we will grow people into becoming more and more like you. And I pray that you'll penetrate and and diminish, God, any fear because you are in control. I pray, God, that you'll evaporate complacency and consumerism in this church, God, and activate those who didn't think they could play a role in impacting the kingdom of Christ. We pray, God, for courage, for boldness, that you would empower, God, leaders to be brought up through a leadership pipeline, God, to serve and to love and to lead others. And Father, finally, we pray for this, that you will receive every ounce of credit and glory for what happens in this church and through this church. Because God, it is the reason that we are on this planet to give you glory and to give you worship. So as we close the day on our knees, Father, we worship you, we love you, we adore you, we need you, God. And we ask, Father, that you receive the glory from the last 10 years and for the future. Because we pray this through Jesus, for Jesus, by Jesus, and for his kingdom. Amen.